Look at James chapter 5 with me, if you would. Sitting in the hospital this afternoon waiting to try to get into Ward 8A. And they told me I couldn't come, but I wouldn't take no for an answer. So I stayed there for as long as I possibly could until I had to leave to get back here. But I tried my utmost to get in. But I was there with God's word and sat in the corridor And my mind came to this portion of Scripture. I believe this is where the Lord would have us tonight. James chapter 5, let's begin in verse number 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient. Therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, 
And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. May the Lord bless the reading of his word tonight. We have two, really, two types of people in our text this evening. One is found in verses 1 to 6, and the other is found from verses 7 on down. And tonight, I wonder which one are you? There are only two in our text this evening. The first six verses describe a man that James refers to as a rich man. And you might wipe your brow and say, that's not me because I'm poor as a church mouse. But really, wealth is, that's all relative depending on where you are in the world, isn't it? You might say, I'm not the rich man, but if you were to travel over to some parts of the world, you would indeed be the rich man. The rich man is described in these six verses. Let's look at them together because it might just describe you. This is the second time that James uses this expression in just a matter of five or six verses. In verse 13 of chapter 4, he said, go to now or listen very carefully now. And in verse number 1 of chapter 5, go to now. Again, he says, listen very carefully now, rich men, weep. And howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Now, can I just say, would you look this moment? You ought to perk up. Your ears ought to stand up when you hear those warning words. James says, you better start weeping and howling now. Because very soon, misery is coming your way. Now, if I heard someone speaking such words... And I was in the congregation of where those words were speaking. I'd want to know, was he talking to me? Or did he mean someone else? Because tonight this is speaking directly to some of you. And he tells you to weep and howl now. And he begins in verse number two and he says, your riches are corrupted. And your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. And here is the problem. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Can I tell you that we are living in a part of the world that is doing just this. You say, well, I'm not a very wealthy person. I, I don't have much money and therefore James isn't talking about me. But if you are so occupied with getting more than he's talking about you. you know, I, I don't have two pennies to rub together. I'm not the rich man. It's not about how much money you have. It's about where your treasure is. Where is your heart? 
Are you treasuring up, storing up treasures on earth? Remember what Jesus said, store not up treasure on earth. Where moth doth eat and rust doth canker corrupt it. Where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up treasures in heaven. Do you know, I found sometimes that poorer people have a harder time with this than rich people do. Because they don't have and they constantly want. And they want and want and want. And they think that just because they're poor that they're okay. But if your desire is for more and more and more and you're living for more, then my friend, you are in danger of being this man in James chapter 5 who is heaping up treasure together. Can I ask you this evening, what are you living for? Are you trying to earn more money so that you can buy something else? Is your life consumed with getting more? And James says, look, your riches are corrupted. And by the way, any rich riches you get on this earth, anything you get on this earth is corrupted. It's all rotting. You might have the nicest house in all of Oxfordshire. Somebody sent me a link. I didn't even open it, but somebody sent me a link of the most expensive house in Oxford. I was not interested. The most expensive house in Oxford. You might own that expensive house tonight, but it is already rotting. And very soon, there will not be one brick left standing upon another brick in that house. You might drive the nicest car in the car park tonight, but every one of our cars will disintegrate in the blink of an eye, when God's wrath is poured out upon this earth. And the scriptures say that your gold and silver is cankered. The rust of them will be a witness against you. Do you know on judgment day, I think what we leave behind is going to testify against us. All that we labored for, all that we worked so hard for, all that we gave our life to get, will be a witness against us on judgment day. And all of our junk will be heaped up to say, to scream in our ear that we live for this rather than Jesus. Rather than for things which really mattered. I remember when I was first arrived in this country, I was invited into someone's house. Me and a friend went to make a visit and we got to the house and, and uh, I was shocked when the front door was opened. The house was chock-a-block full of junk. And there was one tiny little pathway that sort of weaved its way through the rooms, but towers and mountains and stacks of junk on every side, left and right. And, and I thought to myself, how does anybody live like this? You couldn't see a table. Maybe there was a table, but if there was, it was covered with more junk. I didn't didn't see a sofa. Maybe there was one, but it was buried beneath the stacks and stacks and stacks of junk. And the person laughed and said, oh, I know just where everything is. They're very proud of that fact. But can I tell you that if you are living to get more It's a waste of time. 
this kind of a person is the kind of a person that is a taker. I remember when I, not long after I was converted, a, a man said to me, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Would you look this way for a second? There are givers and there are takers. That's it. Givers and takers. Some just can't wait to take, 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 and if it's there, they'll take it, and they'll do their best to take as much as they possibly can, and they'll step on top of you to take it, and they will use you to get something else. And that's exactly what this kind of a man did. He hired people to help him so he could gain an increase off of them, earn from them, and refuse to give them what was rightfully theirs. And the Bible says the ears of those people that have been taken advantage of are coming before the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth. One of the signs that we're living in the last days is spelt out for us in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is this, that people love pleasure. That's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse number 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, watch this, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Can I ask you this evening, do you love your pleasure more than you love God? Do you love your comfortable routine more than you love God? Do you love your comfortable home and you know you just have everything just right and you and you don't want it to be interrupted because you enjoy it. It's You take great pleasure in working your job from nine to five and coming home and, and drinking your sup of tea at night. And you don't want anything or anyone to disturb that. And certainly, you know, if you can squeeze God in somewhere, that's okay. But you don't want God to interrupt because you're enjoying the pleasures of this world. I think one of the great reasons that Western Christians are not serving the Lord more fervently is because we are mesmerized by our pleasures. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Do you see that? One of the saddest things amongst Western Christianity is that we think we are satisfied. Because we've got a good job and just enough money coming in and everything's just fine. But the truth is you are starving. You are desperately poor and you don't even see it. That was one of the indictments against the churches in the book of Revelation. Do you remember that? Jesus said unto the churches, he said, you, you have this reputation. You have this little testimony that you are rich, but really you're not. That's found in Revelation chapter 3. In verse number 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. The church of Laodicea. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. One of the most difficult people to deal with is the person who cannot see how desperately wretched they are. And they prance about life as if all is well. 
living in pleasure on earth, but being wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Now, I want you to think for just a moment about that phrase. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Before the day of slaughter comes for animals, for pigs or cattle or sheep, whatever it may be, a farmer does his best to fatten those animals up. Fatten them up. Before the day of slaughter, that way there's as much meat on it as possible. We can get as much out of it as possible. And some of you are giving your whole lives to fatten yourselves up. You're living for you. Whatever desire you have, you do it. You want to be like the world and act like the world. And, and so therefore you're taking, taking, taking for yourself. You're living selfishly and empty. And you are like those pigs and cows that are being stuffed, eating, preparing for the day of slaughter. And you don't even realize that the slaughter that you're preparing for is your own judgment and condemnation. Ye have condemned and killed the just. One of the signs that you are this kind of a person that James is speaking about is that you are constantly criticizing the godly. One of the signs that you are this person that James is talking about in James chapter 5 is that you're living for yourself. You're trying to get more and more and more. The only thing you think about is you and getting more for yourself. That's one of the signs, yes. And you don't care who you step on. You don't care who you use. You don't care who gets hurt just so you can get more. That's another sign. Living in pleasure, not even blinded to the fact that you're starving spiritually. That's another sign. And here's the last sign. You are constantly condemning the just. And do you know why you condemn the just? Because if you don't condemn the just, you feel bad. Because you know the just are living the way that they should. And you know you are not living the way that you should. And therefore, the only way to justify your sinful behavior is to run the just into the ground. Woe unto the one who calls himself a Christian and all they can do is criticize other Christians. Woe unto you. Because the truth is you know very little of the love of Christ. Jesus said, this is how we know that we pass from death from life because we love the brethren. You can't say you have passed from death to life. You can't say you've been born again if you don't love the brethren. Now that's the first person. That person is living without even recognizing it. He's fattening himself up for one day and that is the day of slaughter. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 2. And he says this, Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Do you know what I find with this kind of a person? is God is being merciful to them. The fact that they're still alive is evidence of God's goodness and evidence of God's forbearance and evidence of God's long-suffering, but they don't even recognize it. They think that they're okay, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. They don't realize that the only reason they're still alive today is so that they can repent. 
not so they can continue on in their sin. It's interesting to me that people who live this way think that the reason that they're still alive is because they're okay and they're doing all right. But really the reason they're alive is because God wants to give them a chance to repent. And they don't see that. They think they're fine and nothing needs to change. And so they continue on. In fact, they get worse and worse and worse. Can I ask, would you look here for a moment? Can I ask you tonight, are you any better right now than you were a year ago? Or are you worse now than you were a year ago? This is the first. This is the first man that James speaks about tonight. Don't be deceived by thinking the rich man means that he's got an awful lot of money. It means he lives for what he can get. Living in pleasure. Heaping up treasure together for the last days. But in verse 7, we have a different man. And James says, be patient, therefore, brethren. So now he speaks to brothers and sisters. Not fakes. Not those who call themselves Christians, but yet know nothing about being a brother or a sister in Christ. Those who have truly been born again. Those who truly love the brethren. Those are the ones. You know, the Bible speaks from the beginning of Scripture until the end about this necessity of the family of God. You can't do it alone. There is no such thing in Scripture as the lone ranger. God ordained it to be. He gave us a family. It's called the body of Christ, the family of God, the building of God, the church of the living God, the bride of Christ, that we might recognize it. He has given us a family to labor with. And he says, James speaking now to the brethren. Be patient, therefore, brethren, knowing all of this, that there is coming very soon. There is coming that day of judgment, that day of reckoning. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Now watch what he says. Behold. Now he said to the rich man, behold, go ahead and start weeping and go ahead and start howling now because... Your miseries are coming. He says to the brethren, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. So be ye also patient, brethren. One of the things that God's people need today more than ever is a holy patience. A holy patience. Because God is patient. In fact, that word patient is found a number of times there. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Because the husbandman waiteth or is patient for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rains. Be also patient. Are you patient, child of God? Or are you constantly impatient with people? If people don't walk like you think they should walk and they don't act like you think they should act, do you just write them off? Are you finished with them? Or are you patient? Have you lost hope in the salvation of people's souls? Be patient. Because our God, the only reason we are still alive tonight and the only reason that you have breath in your lungs and your heart is still beating on a consistent basis is because God is patient. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. 
He knows just the right time to pluck that fruit when it's ready. And he's waiting. Before the Lord Jesus returns, be patient therefore unto the coming of the Lord. He is coming, but he's not going to come until he has taken all the harvest. That's why Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Look unto the fields because they are white already unto harvest. Because right now the fields, and by the way, if you wait until they're already ripe, then it's too late. So let us be patient for the coming of the Lord. You might say, I wish he would just come and rescue us from this whole mess. It's getting worse and worse and I'm frightened to death. What are we going to do? Be patient. He's coming. Be patient. He is coming. But he's not tarrying his coming so that we can suffer. That's not the reason that he's in heaven. Jesus isn't having a tea party in heaven while we suffer down below. No, he's coming. He's on the edge of his seat. He's ready. The Bible says a little bit later on that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. Meaning settle your heart. Know that he's coming. Settle your heart. Don't settle your feet in this earth, but settle your heart on Christ. Don't set your eyes on the things of this earth, but settle your heart on Christ Jesus. He is coming. And the Bible says the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh. And I'm telling you, if James could write this 2,000 years ago, how much nearer are we today? How much closer are we today? Anybody that has any uh, slightest drop of Bible understanding, anybody that's looking at scriptures and studying what the scriptures say about the end times, I think anybody who has an open heart and mind about these things says, we're closer. Coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And look what he says. Watch this. On that note, be patient, be patient, be patient. Don't be so quick to want to fly out of here. Be patient. In fact, you ought to be so quick to want to see souls saved before he comes back. Don't be so ready to scoot. Don't be so ready to get out of this sin-cursed earth, but be patient. I like what Mr. Bassett said this morning. I don't want to go because there's more work to be done. That's what he's saying. That's what the husbandman, that's what God is saying. There's still more precious fruit of the earth. There's still more souls to be saved. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It says in verse 9, In light of this, grudge not one against another. Literally, groan not, grieve not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Did you catch that? If you've got a grievance in your heart towards another brother, you aren't ready to meet Jesus. You aren't ready. If you've got a groaning in your heart towards another brother, you are not ready to meet Jesus. And by the way, if you let that groan be heard in the ears of another person, besides the person that you have a grievance with, you are in big trouble as a Christian. If you've got an issue, what does the scripture say? Tell the whole church about it. If there's a problem, you go to that person and you tell them. Nobody else. Go to that person. And so James says, grudge not. On the basis of the coming of the Lord, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Can you imagine tonight? Here's what James says. You and I ought to live like the, like Jesus is standing just outside that flap. We ought to live our life with an understanding that Jesus is coming very, very soon. 
that his hand is on the door handle to turn the handle and to come in. Do you live your life like that? Do you live with an urgency and expectancy that Christ could come back tonight? Would you look here for a moment? Are you ready for that? Are you ready? If the Lord Jesus returned tonight, are you ready? James ends his book. This last chapter is dedicated to the truth that Christ is coming soon. And then he gives us some other advice to brethren. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example. Take those men who have preached in the name of the Lord. Let them be your example of suffering affliction and of patience. Patience. Endurance. Keep on. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't throw in the white towel. Don't wave the white flag. Don't throw in the towel. Keep going. Because there's more to be done. There are more souls to be saved. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tend of tender mercy. Look, let that comfort your soul. Think, why are we still here? Why doesn't Jesus come? Because he's pitiful. Jesus is full of pity and full of mercy. He wants more to be saved. That's why we're still here. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. And then we have this beautiful passage about prayer. Do you know prayer solves a multitude of problems? Prayer. This is a marvelous passage. This is really why my mind was brought to this text while I was in the hospital, thinking of praying for this dear man who is so ill. The scriptures say, is any afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. You know what our problem is? We are confessing everybody else's faults to one another. And instead of praying for the person we got a problem with, we're gossiping about that person. Confess your faults one to another. Confess your own faults one to another and pray one for another that he may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions, passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Are you a praying man or woman? There's only two kinds of people in our text tonight. The one who's storing up treasures on earth, heaped up treasures together for the last days, which will be a testimony against them on the day of judgment. And those who are storing up treasures in heaven. And those likewise will give witness to the life that they've lived on judgment day. Look at the greatest treasure. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, one turn him around, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 
and treasures being stored up as a testimony to what you live for, to the converting of souls, to the changing of lives. You are one of two men. You're either storing up treasure on earth, which will be a witness against you on the day of judgment, or you're storing up treasures in heaven, which likewise will be a testimony for you on the day of judgment. I wonder if we were to put both your piles in front of you tonight, the physical material things that you've lived for and the heavenly things that you have been storing up. If you were to put both piles side by side tonight, which one would be bigger? The physical things that you've lived for or the eternal things? Have you any treasure in heaven at all right now? Have you stored up anything of eternal worth or value right now at all? Have you given your life to see that soul that is wayward, that is in the error of his way? Have you done anything at all to see them converted? Have you done your best to serve Christ and his body? Or have you done your best to serve yourself? Who are you serving? Self or Savior? Who are you storing up for? Self or Savior? Two men tonight. The man who lives for himself, who's heaping up treasures together for himself, that man, there's nothing for him to look forward to but weeping and howling because that day of slaughter is coming. Now, if you know tonight that that's you, there's hope. I spoke with a man this morning after the meeting, and he said to me, I just don't know if there's any more hope for me. I said, the fact that you're here and you're hearing these words is evidence that there's still hope. The fact that you're here and we're having this conversation and you feel the weight of your sin is evidence that there is still hope tonight. Although you have lived your life selfishly for you, tonight, if you will not harden your heart and you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Will you come to him tonight? Brethren, child of God, do not be distracted by the deceitfulness of riches. Let us be patient to the coming of the Lord. Let us endure. Let us keep on keeping on. Let us, as we say, move onwards and upwards until he does come. And let us labor to see souls converted. May we be men and women of prayer. Which one are you tonight? Storing up treasures for yourself or treasures in heaven? Let's pray. Father, we ask for thy help tonight. We pray for those who have lived entirely for themselves. Perhaps they have thought of others occasionally or given some of their unwanted things occasionally, thinking that that might make them okay. But overall, they've lived for themselves. I pray that this evening they might recognize that they have only stored up not material things, but they have stored up wrath against the day of judgment. And I pray that even tonight, 
they may be convicted. Those who have tread on top of other people to get what they want. Those who have criticized and condemned the just because they have felt ashamed of the way they've lived. Those who find and take comfort in tearing down God's people because it somehow makes them feel better about their lack of service to thee. Show them tonight, Lord. I pray for those who are trying their very best to live for thee. Those who are trying their very best to die daily. Those who are crucified with Christ and let Christ live in them daily. Those who are always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord. Those who know that their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Those who know they are the sons of the living God and were created unto thy workmanship. I pray for my brethren tonight, Lord. Help them to endure. Help them to be patient. When things get difficult, may they carry on. May they not give up. May their eyes be fixed upon Jesus, our Savior. May they look for the increase. May they look for the harvest of souls. May they take great joy and delight when souls are converted, when lives are changed. We ask of thee, Lord, make us like these men. Help us not to grudge against one another, but may we be ready for the judge to come. May we live like he is at the door, knowing that he is coming soon. And therefore, help us to keep our Accounts right with thee, Lord. May we confess our sin when we see it and forsake it immediately. Help us to be praying, men and women, praying for one another and grieved when one is suffering and challenged when one is struggling. Oh, Lord, please help us to be what the brethren should be. We ask of the Lord to work in our midst tonight. Show us where we stand and where we ought to be. For we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and for his 